0: Welcome into the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy, and we're going to get right into it today with our guest, Anthony Scaramucci. Anthony, the Mooch. Scaramucci is the founder and managing partner of global investment firm Skybridge and founder and chairman of SALT, a global thought leadership forum and venture studio. He's also an author, and he just launched a a pretty cool podcast called Open Book. So check that out. Uh, and of course, he's best known for the 11 roller coaster days he served in the Trump White House as communications director. Anthony, welcome back into the back room. It's Great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I love your podcast. Thank you. And uh, I listened to your new podcast last night. I checked out the uh, Chris Cuomo episode. So what what uh, made you give me the genesis of, of Open Book, which, by the way, I was going to ask you, what's usually when people come on, they have podcasts. I ask them what the significance of the Name of the podcast is, but I kind of feel like I probably know what this one is. But why don't you go ahead and explain it anyway? You
1: know, it's a it's a double entendre. You know, it's a uh, it's about authors. I wanted to make the podcast about authors. I have a big belief that, uh, you know, when we were kids, Andy, I could say to you, ten dollars, ten hours, you can get ten years of experience from a book. A great author writing about something. It could be an author that. Part of the great works of history, like a Homer or a Socrates or Plato, something like that. Socrates didn't write anything; Plato wrote it for him. But you get the point I'm making. He had a um, podcast, though, didn't he, Socrates? He, well, Socrates would have had a great podcast, but it would have gone on and on and on. You know, he was a big questioner, as we That's call it. true. But, but, but my point is, is that. Uh, Uh, We don't read as much as we used to. Uh, Our love affair with books has sort of waned because of the addiction to social media, our phones, streaming services, and so forth. So I thought if I could create a podcast and if it could catch fire, it would be about authors, what they're writing, what they're thinking about. Because remember, to write a book, it's hundreds of hours. Mm -hmm. Uh, You usually have a team of people editing it. Uh, But yet it takes the reader about 10 hours to read it. And so when you take that whole combination, I think there's a lot of value in it. And I've got books behind me here. This one, I just interviewed this gentleman here. Uh, The title of this book is As Gods, The Moral History of the Genetic Age by Matthew Cobb. And you say, all right, I'm probably never going to read this book, but I'm doing the job for you. I read the book, and now I'm interviewing the author about what is happening to the manipulation of not just our DNA, but the DNA that's in nature, genetically modified foods, enhanced fertilization, Mm -hmm. embryos, designer embryos, uh, uh, three of which were produced in China, uh, which may or may not be moral. I mean, we could talk about the morality of it, but the point being is our science is now going to completely, once again, transform the world it's not just AI. It'll be things that are happening to us genetically mm-hmm. that we as quote unquote gods are manipulating. So you don't have to read the whole book. You can come on, you can come and listen to my podcast, plug in and get a, a sense for that and how it's affecting our current culture. You mentioned Chris Cuomo. He's a very dear friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the New York Post sort of took out of context what he was saying. You know, I'm going to I'm going to kill myself and kill everybody. That's a very Italian thing to say. <laughs> Andy. You know, it's a uh, an emotional outburst in the context of the pain that he was experiencing from the way he felt mistreated or the way he felt unfairly treated with his firing as a result of helping his brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is well documented, so we don't have to go into it. But uh, that podcast was really about pathos. That podcast was about authenticity and that podcast was coming to realizations in your life that frankly, some things are just not going to go the way you expect them. You know, I'm hired, you know, you and I talked about this last podcast, I'm hired into the White House. I think I'm going to help Donald Trump hopefully impact his administration positively. 11 short days later, I'm unceremoniously fired. And by the way, that wasn't that big of a deal to me. I didn't I didn't go negative on Trump until mm-hmm. or not two years later. I wasn't I'm not a bad sport. I took my firing like a man. Um, but my point is, how do you handle this stuff? How do you handle things in life when you're planning one thing? And as Mike Tyson says, you get punched in the face by life. How do you react to it? So I thought Chris was very open, very human in that podcast. And uh, it was, it's was it been a pretty popular podcast.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, I was reading the description on the uh, podcast page. Uh, there's a part that says, quote, uh, about you, he'll turn the pages on his own life lessons from his blue-collar upbringing and career on Wall Street to getting his teeth kicked in in the White House and then coming back stronger. So that speaks to what you were just yeah. saying. Yeah, um, man, I got, I mean,
1: I mean, I got my, I mean, that was probably underwritten. I mean, I got steamrolled. I got skin filleted. You know, they they took my skin off and then they rolled me in margarita salt. You know, it was it was brutal. I mean, if you're, let me tell you something, Ashra, you're having a bad day. Call me okay? Because as long as it's not a health situation, I'll take you back to the 31st of July, 2017. I don't really know how you got, other than a health situation, I do you really have a much worse day. My wife has filed for divorce. I missed the birth of my son because I was with the president uh, and I was trapped in a no-fly zone uh, because of Air Force One. Uh, and there I am uh, being fired unceremoniously from the White House, lit up by every late-night comedian, destroyed by every cable pundit, uh, wasn't fun. But what's your attitude like? How do you handle that? How do mm-hmm. you uh, bounce back from that? How do you own your you-know-what? How do you uh,
0: be accountable for mistakes that you're making? So how do you do that? What what was your recipe for ultimate redemption, but there's a, you know, redemption is the sausage. What what was your process for the sausage making? How did you get to that point that you just described? Well, listen, I mean, at the time, it was usually painful. I don't
1: want to pretend otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, right. I was uh, punched in the face. And, you know, you, I could have been angry about it, but I actually wasn't because I accepted, and this is something I have said to Chris Cuomo, and I would say to other people, that have high profile jobs or in positions, these jobs are ephemeral. If you're Jerry Seinfeld, guess what happens? Your show eventually gets canceled. If you're Mike Piazza, who's a very dear friend of mine, probably the best hitting catcher in Major League Baseball history, you know what happens, your career ends. Mm-hmm. You're, you're 53 now, you can't hit a baseball like when you were 33. And so how do you handle these things? You know, If you go into the NFL, Unless you're a punter or a, a kicker, you're guaranteed to get a concussion. If you go into American politics at the highest level at the office of the presidency, you're probably going to get trashed and thrashed by someone. It could be, if you're a Republican, it could be the Democrats. It could be opposition in your own party. If you're a Democrat, it could be the Republicans. You know, We, we, we get chewed up in politics the same way people get concussed in the NFL. And I would say it would be the same thing in a high-profile media job. Those jobs, unless you're Walter Cronkite uh, retiring at age 65 in 1982 after a 40-plus year run at CBS, the world's changed. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have your expectations set up. So when I got bounced, I think I had the right expectations. They're pretty healthy about it. The second thing is, despite the pain of it, I've got five children and my my children are watching me and your children are watching you. And so I had to bounce, you know, mm-hmm. there was a very painful moment for me uh 7 days after I was fired where my oldest son, he's 31 now but he was 24 25 at the time. Uh, we were walking on the promenade in Santa Monica. I know you probably mm-hmm. know that shopping area there I on 3rd s- and 4th
0: street. Spent enough money and, on that little promenade. Yeah,
1: yeah, beautiful place. I'm walking there. He turns to me, and he says, Hey Papa, hey Dad, are you all are you okay?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, My okay, God, you're getting destroyed. You're on the front page of every single newspaper. Mm-hmm. You're getting destroyed. Right. Are you gonna be okay? And it was like the first time in my life where my son, my child, was actually now parenting me. It's should to offer me comfort. And so I turned to him. I looked over at him and I said, "Hey, listen. You know, I'm good, not only am I going to be okay. Watch what I do with this, mm-hmm. okay? Because I'm going to teach you a lesson that if you have your expectations right about life, and you know, America loves a comeback story. You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald once said in the 1920s that there are no second acts in America. I don't know if you remember that quote."
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a brilliant writer, but man, did he get that wrong? America loves comebacks. America... Well, the key, here's the key though. And I, and I think this is, yes. with you, this is the difference because there's been enough time now between that awful period uh, in your life when you went through that mm-hmm. stuff, the, the the Trump, public Trump stuff, uh, where we all have had a chance to sit back and reflect not just on you, but Trump himself and everybody else that worked with him and came and went and mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. co-conspirators and all that. The difference, I think, for you is that you're a likable guy. You're not just a likable guy, but you are also, uh, you've been very self-deprecating. I think you've owned up to uh, whatever actions or participation you had in that roller coaster. Um, I think you come off... Most of the time, and this is the way it is for all of us, not just you. Most of the time, hopefully, you want to come off as genuine and sincere. And I, I think so. that is, you know, if D is the comeback story, what I just mentioned is the A, B, and C. A, B, C equals D. Like take well, Sean I, I Spicer for example. I... I don't think no one like I don't think anyone likes Sean Spicer, but he had oh, a, but he... a ceremoniously, you know, infamous roller coaster ride as well. But he's not a likable guy in the public eye, and he—he he, he wasn't genuine. Disingen- he
1: wasn't honest. But he is very disingenuous, Andy. I mean, I see you know, I, you know, every Spice Girl has a nickname. My nickname for him was Liar Spice. Okay, he could not tell a true mm-hmm. statement no matter what, and he hated Trump. Okay, there's a scene with him and Reince Priebus where uh, the CNBC is the network that's doing a Republican debate, and of course it's going to be about the economy, and they've got their journalists uh, interviewing the seven or eight remaining candidates, mm-hmm. and him and Wrights Priebus are telling the producers to cut Trump's mic, okay? They're trying to figure out a way to dismantle Trump because they despise Trump. Fast forward, they're in the White House tran- chanting MAGA problems. you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least for me, I declared myself as a moderate Republican. I did declare myself as a Trump supporter. I got it wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, I made a mistake that many people supporting Trump made, and that was we had a binary choice, lifelong Republican. I chose to go with the Republican. Mm -hmm. But Trump was mad, M-A-D, in terms of a cuckoo sort of a way. Uh, The person I was supporting, Jeb Bush, told me not to support Trump. He said that Trump would prove to be poisonous and uh, don't support him, okay? And I did it anyway, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so, to, so to make a, uh, a long story short, um, I own that, and I've owned that on your podcast, I've owned it on another podcast. Uh, something that happened that Nikki Haley has to own, mm-hmm. Mike Pompeo has to own, we contributed to the racial invective, I'm not a racist, love all people, but Trump had some very racially charged, very bad rhetoric. When you're in Charlottesville during a Nazi parade and you're witnessing a death of somebody as a result of this, mm-hmm. and then you're coming on stage at the American president saying that there are very good people on both sides, you can't do that. You know, that was a week after I got fired. I went on George Stephanopoulos' show. He asked me my opinion. I said, "You know, you can't talk like that. You can't be that person." Yeah. You know. Well, here, here's an and, example and, of what and we 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 contributed to that. And mm-hmm. Nikki has to own that.
0: You know, Mike has to own that. Yeah, Mike I want to get has... I want to get to the uh, the the race in a second, but to, to sort of illustrate the point I was making about you, you tweeted something, I believe it was yesterday about John Fetterman. You said, "Quote: I admire Senator John Fetterman for getting help. Depression is real." and affects many families. The social stigma makes it tough to come forward with it, and he is showing us the way. It's courageous, and I pray for him and his family." The difference in that is that we seem to have lost in our culture today, in this tribalism, the ability to say, wait, forget left, forget right, depression is real, we all suffer. It's like, the, I've seen some horrible, nasty comments on online about Fetterman. But the truth is, Mm -hmm. if it was not Fetterman and it was Lindsey Graham, just the opposite would be. How do we, are we so broken as a society that we can't even feel compassion and empathy? But that's the point I was making about you. It's like you said this about Fetterman and the reason why you said it is because you're not just a jerk like most of these Trumpsters uh, and and people can like, it doesn't matter that you voted for him, that was yesterday. Today you're 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 showing yourself, and you have for the last several years, you know, to just be a decent guy. People like decent guys. People yeah, root I'm for decent lot. guys, and I that's why that. you know you can you can have a comeback. I appreciate it. it's very sweet of you to say, but I do mean
1: that. You know, I have unfortunately uh, people in my family that have been depressed. Yeah, I've we all a, have. Uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I've had a family member that attempted suicide. Um, I had a. Uh, I have drugs and alcoholism in my family, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so we can sweep it under the rug. We can pretend that we're callous and tough, tough and testosterone laden, and all this stuff, or we can address it and humanize it and get keep people comfortable. You know, I have a a, a person in my family that, thank God, was cut down from a uh, a self hanging mm-hmm. and. And the result of which uh, life was saved. He went in for treatment, but he had a personal stigma, Andy, about his depression. Because, you know, depression, unfortunately, is for whatever reason we feel stigmatized or it's not socially acceptable. If I told you I'm going in for knee replacement, no problem. If I told you I have a heart condition, I need cholesterol medication, no problem. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you that there there may be some chemistry inside my brain that's making me tired or making me feel poorly about Earth and life itself, then we have all of a sudden have, have a problem. You know, mm-hmm. did you I deal with that when you my, were
0: did, back in that July so, period where the marriage yeah. was falling apart and the the, yeah. the firing from the White House and and all that? Did you yourself go through a period uh, of any kind of unusual
1: situation? Yeah, I mean, listen, situationally, yes. I don't think I've ever been clinically depressed, thank God. Mm-hmm. Uh, but situational depression, sure. You know, when a uh, loved ones have passed, I have felt depressed over that and sadness. Of course, I'm a human being. Um, I was situationally depressed as a result of what happened, but I shook it off pretty quickly. You know, because because what I know and what I try to tell people, life is changing. Okay, you know, you could be in a bad moment, but what we know about life, not to get all Marcus Aurelius on you, but what he wrote in meditations is that it's a constant changing momentum, if you will. you know, he 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 said that the five year old version of you and the five year old old version of me is long gone. You mm-hmm. may have some memory of it in your cerebellum, but it's long gone. Uh, and there's a new version of you every day as you're shedding the old version. And so, When someone's going through something bad, I tell them, okay, let's sit tight. Things will get better. Let's find a path to making them better. Um, But I also believe this. You can train yourself to be joyful. You you don't have to be down. You can train yourself to be joyful. If you give me a cup of coffee, and I have a white T-shirt, and I have a 13-inch General Electric black and white television with rabbit ears, and I can watch the New York Mets, I'm a happy camper. Okay, the Mets. You're serving, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, come on. Happy got, watching the has, Mets. Everybody's got to have some level of pain when they're a fan of something. There you go. Like, and I've had 50 years of pain, but it's our time is coming soon. I think you but may my be right. Point is if you're not if you're not happy with the cup of coffee,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're not going to be happy in the yacht, right? It's just okay. So I was yes unhappy. I was unhappy with the way I was portrayed. I thought it was over demonization. But I accepted it, right? And I said, okay, that's part of life that I'm living, but it's going to transition and I'm going to help myself transition it. And then I went on Colbert's show. You know, a week or two afterwards, people in the PR world told me not to do it. They told me to hey, hey, that's a disaster. I said, I don't think so. I'm All gonna right. go on and talk to Steven. He was lampooning me for eleven or twelve days even had this like cartoon rendition of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I called him to offer myself up to the show, he was didn't believe me. Um, his producer now is running uh, uh, CNN, uh, Chris Licht. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember Chris. But yep. Anyway, he's the president of CNN now, but he was producing Steve's show. Uh, and so I said, the only thing I want from you is that cartoon of me, that, that cell I need you to sign it for my mom, okay? (laughs) We're going to put it up at my mom's uh, house, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when I got to the show, I brought a knife inscribed with his name on it from my restaurant, the Hunt and Fish Club. And I said, listen, I'm a front stabber, so I brought you a front stabbing knife. And then he asked me (laughs) on television, he said, hey, did you think you were going to last a long time in the White House? I said, yeah, longer than a cart of milk in the refrigerator. I didn't think I was going to get blown out before the milk went bad. And the point being is... You know, you gotta lean into your garbage. Yeah, you, know, you don't back away from it. And uh, and I owned it. Uh, and well, I want to ask
0: you about in in our remaining time minutes, to break
1: from Trump, I broke from Trump, yeah. Well, speaking
0: you know? of Trump, I want to ask you about yeah. a, a few things that are in the news right now. Before, uh, in our remaining mm-hmm. time, sure. your former boss, Trump, uh, former boss Trump. Uh, are yeah. we are we getting? Do you think we're getting close to seeing this fucker sitting in a de- in a defendant's chair in a courtroom anytime soon?
1: I am I am the wrong guy to ask this because I have been very consistent in saying no to that question. I want to be so wrong about this, okay? I know so many different things, so many acts that he perpetrated that were wrongful, uh, criminal, Mm -hmm. over the top criminal. The stuff in Georgia, over the top criminal, Um, you know, but. I think it's very hard for this country, for whatever reason, and we can have this debate, I think it's very hard for this country to put a former president in jail. Now, maybe he deserves it, but I think what happens in this country, and again, I'm just being observational. I'm not giving you my opinion. You asked me my opinion. Mm -hmm. I want Trump indicted. I'd like him in jail. I don't think it's going to be something that happens, and I'm going to explain to you why, I think we're very nervous, and I think President Biden is very nervous. He's an old-school guy. He's very nervous about an indictment of a political adversary because we've seen those things happen in less desirable political systems where they build jail cells for each other, and depending on who gets into power, the other guy ends up in jail. Look at what happened in Brazil. We've seen it happen in Israel, and I think Joe Biden is— influenced by Ted Kennedy. And I'll just give you this story very quickly. In Teddy Kennedy's last book that he wrote, obviously he had a co-author, but he was dying of brain cancer. And he wrote in 2009 that he got the Nixon pardon situation wrong. What do I mean by that? Uh, uh, Nixon resigns in August. Mm -hmm. He's pardoned in September. Uh, uh, Ted Kennedy gets to the floor of the Senate and has an excoriating speech and a denunciation of that pardon and deep ridicule and criticism for President Ford. Fast forward from 74 to 2009, Kennedy's writing in his book, reflecting 30 years later uh, that he had gotten it 35 years later, that he had gotten it wrong, that ultimately Ford understood that even though there was malevolence in the man and perhaps criminality to the man, it was important to maintain the integrity of the system. And not start a domino effect where we start imprisoning our political opponents. Mm. Now you can agree, you can agree with that or disagree with that, but I think that's where we are. Now again,
0: you're you're right, and I hear that. Me, but I, I you think tell to me your Trump's point. Going, I think to your you point. Joe Trump's Biden is. A- I'm a
1: happy camper because I want him off the stage. He's a very destructive guy. Right. But and to he's your point, to Joe, the
0: American democracy. Joe Biden has been around for decades. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. I respectfully disagree with you because I think Joe Biden knows that the alternative is is much worse. That without I hope so. and the analogy, I get the analogy to Nixon, but what Nixon did was nowhere near the level of existential crisis to our democracy. Um, totally agree. I think Biden knows that. And this is the dilemma that Garland goes through: is that you know you, you you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So what do you do? You just follow the evidence and follow and 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 follow the letter of the law. Nobody is above the law. You know there'll be riots. In, will there be riots in the streets if he's indicted? Who the hell knows? But I think Biden knows that it's it's worse for this democracy. Our democracy can't survive if he is not if Trump's not held accountable. Now, maybe I'm just naive and, you know, uh, which I'm (laughs) probably maybe guilty of. Listen,
1: I think that the cost benefit analysis is such that I would take the risk of that, what I said, the political opponents hurting each other to take Trump out of the game because he is an existential threat to the system. Now, we have another problem though that we have to acknowledge. He's an existential threat to the system because there's a large group of people in our population Mm -hmm. that are disaffecting from the system. They don't buy into the system anymore, and so he's an avatar for their anger. Trust me, if it was, you know, if there wasn't that group of people, he could have never been president. They voted him into the the office. Mm -hmm. Some of us voted for him because, well, we like Republicans versus Democrats, but there's a very large group of people that voted for MAGA. They voted for the concept of a white America. And, and they hear from Trump, hey, listen, the black and brown people are going to demographically outmatch us, a result of which they will likely be in leadership positions politically. Okay, we don't like that. So let's change the rules and let's make this no longer a democracy. That's the message coming from those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is a horrific message. That is a message against the spirit of America, the experiment of America, And I would tell my fellow Americans, trust the process, trust the diffusion of power, the checks and balances in the system. And uh, the Republicans are stupid, in my opinion. They could think like entrepreneurs and recreate their party to reflect the wonderful, colorful mosaic of America and come up with some great ideas, but they don't want to do that. They want to be in a game of alienation and they want to see if they can play the bingo card Known as the Electoral College, and known as certain states having a lot of power, like North and South Dakota. North and South Dakota, the populations there are under a million people. You know, you have more people living in the island of Manhattan, Mm -hmm. yet each of those states have two senators. Okay, we have two senators in New York, the most populous state I believe now is Texas or California. They've got two senators. North and South Dakota have four senators. Republicans have taken advantage of this. They're running the card table now using the tyranny of the minority. They have figured out how to gerrymander. They have figured out how to keep power. Mm -hmm. They have not, they have won only one presidential popular vote since 1988. So, 35 years, Andy, they won one popular vote. That was in 2004 Bush versus John Kerry. They have lost everything. Other than that, but they had gotten the system figured Mm -hmm. out where they can win through the electoral college. So they're losing demographically, but they figured out a way through the map and the redness of certain parts of the map to keep themselves in power. Now I would make the argument as an entrepreneur, that is a long-term losing battle. And so therefore they're going to want to change the rules and make the country less democratic. That'll be really, really bad for the country. That'll be really bad for our grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Well, that's precisely
0: that's precisely why so, he has to be indicted. Uh yeah, I I'm with you. But, I'm
1: I'm with you. And uh, and I but I'm telling you again, I want him indicted, but I'm telling you why I think he's not going to be. Okay. So if he is indicted, I'll text you uh, you know, Mazletov to that, because I think that'll be a very good thing for the country. He sends a message to people. No, you really can't break the law and nobody, not even a former president, uh, or, you know he he broke the law while president, no mm-hmm. president can break the law in a country like this. That would be a really good
0: message and a very important message for people. Well, hopefully we get to that point. I know you got to run. Uh, Mooch, it's been a pleasure. Hey, uh, always
1: great to be on with you. Thank you for bringing back. up my podcast, Open Book. Yes, I Open
0: Book, available on Apple and Spotify and Amazon and everywhere you know, can get your podcasts. People check it out. It's actually- A really good podcast. I listened to it last night. You'll like it. And uh, come back and talk to us again. All right. You got it, brother. Thank you, man. Take care. That's episode 45. If you like what you've been hearing, even if you don't, let us know. We appreciate the feedback. You can leave us a message at 845-307-7446. Email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at Andy Ostroy. And when you listen, please take a quick moment to rate and review. Those things are important. I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the backroom studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, the Mooch, Anthony Scarmucci. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.